0: down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a cat, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains? and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce back, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind, the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Word of God, word of life. The second lesson is from the book, the first book of Timothy, chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strength with me, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and mercy, because I have acted ignorantly and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance: that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I received mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Word of God. Word of life. Amen.
1: saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep and what that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, "Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost." Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The gospel of the Lord. Praise you may be seated. So this is one of those weeks where, in the revised common lectionary, all of the readings are just so rich. I love the um, the reading from Exodus. It's part of the motivation for that great Negro spiritual, "Go down, Moses, way down in Egypt's land, tell old Pharaoh to let my people go." And the Timothy one is reads full comes right into the gospel reading because Paul is admitting. That Paul is not is now a leader, but was at one time a terrible sinner. In today's lesson from Luke 15, we get two of the of three parables stories used to teach about being lost and then being found. A couple of clarifications: we understand that we are created in the image and with the likeness of God, but we know, as one scholar says, we. Not God, and God is not us. As we study and pray and learn even deeper ways of relating to God, even if we, even if and when we fall short and it's not perfect, that we still understand that God, God as our divine Father, Mother, Helper, Healer, and Friend. We're often helped in understanding our faith and who God is for us when we can visualize. God taking on human characteristics. Scholars call this, this is a great one, anthropomorphic language. In other words, human figurative language for God our humble images for God. One of the best examples of this comes in the psalmist's classic confession. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That description bring, brought together with today's Gospel lesson enhances our interpretation and understanding of that gospel lesson. Jesus uses this kind of imagery in his teaching, filling it with caring or or shepherding image, just like in this parable of the lost sheep that we read today. This one man search and rescue mission to look for a single sheep who'd wander away from the flock. In Luke 15, Jesus used this parable not as a standalone story but as a part of three parables in a row, two of which we consider today, and all depicting different angles of God seeking and saving a single valuable object, person, place, or thing. These stories or parables use common, everyday folk to represent God, if you listen carefully. The first parable features God as shepherd, recovering a lost animal, one wayward sheep out of a hundred in the shepherd's care. The second shifts to God as housekeeper. Take note as a woman sweeping the house to find one missing coin out of a ten-piece set. The third, most familiar, often called the prodigal son, may be better described as the return of the wayward son. We're going to save that third one for another time. This morning we'll concentrate on the first two. The first parable obviously echoes the 23rd Psalm. As I said, the Lord is my shepherd. And as one commentator says, while well, setting that theme in a different key, well, what do I mean? In understanding Psalm 23, it stresses our divine shepherd's provision when it says, I shall want. and our divine shepherd's protection, reminding us, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my God is still with me. This ties in directly with Jesus' shepherd story this morning that highlights the Lord's restoration or reclamation as Jesus tells us of the shepherd who seeks out and saves the one lost sheep on the ninety-nine week. Then Jesus changes it up in the next parable, but with an interesting twist in, in gender and setting. A woman lights her lamp and continues sweeping the floors, some people think, all night long, listening for the noise of one uncoated, she lost and took the my sweeper Here's the amazing way to think about what this, I love listen together. putting these two together. The Lord is my seeking shepherd and sweeper. I shall not be lost. The Lord is my seeking shepherd and sweeper. I shall not be lost. So there you have the 23rd Psalm and the Luke 15 all mashed together. So we go from the Lord is my shepherd to the Lord my seeking shepherd. You know Jesus looks for us and seeks us out whenever we are lost and we find it. And like the woman who sweeps and lights her lamps and looks for one simple lost coin, we understand that it was the least of the coins, the smallest amount of the small amount that the woman has. Yet she still spends hours and hours sweeping and looking because the one small coin, the insignificant coin, is still worth saving and important. The Lord is my seeking shepherd and sweeper. I shall not be lost. Please remember in both cases after finding the one that is lost, one of a hundred sheep and one of ten simple coins, there is great celebration when one that is lost is found. Both of the parables end in a party. That's my kind of scripture. Now a story that comes from our Roman Catholic friends. Because if you're not a former Roman, if you're not a Roman Catholic or a former Roman Catholic, you may have never heard the prayer. Here it comes: Tony, Tony, turn around. Something's lost that must be found. Maybe you you heard someone who lost their car keys, for example, pray that prayer. It's a prayer to Saint Anthony of Padua, who is believed to be the patron saint of lost items. The 13th century holy man left a wealthy family to become a poor priest. The tradition of invoking St. Anthony's help in finding lost or stolen things traces back to a scene from St. Anthony's own life. As legend goes, Anthony had a book of psalms that in his eyes was priceless. There was no printing press yet. Any book had great value. This was his book of psalms, his prayer book. Besides, in the margins, he'd written all kinds of notes he used in training students in his Franciscan order of priests. A novice, who had already grown tired of living a religious life, decided to leave the community of the church. Besides going AWOL, he also took St. Anthony's Psalter, his book of Psalms. When Anthony went to his room to play and pray and it found it missing, Anthony prayed it would be found and returned to him. After he prayed this, the story goes that this prayer the thieving novice Seeing through the forest was met by a demon. Okay, this part of the story is a little sketchy and murky, but anyway, how could a negative it could be this avenue to God's way? Anyway, we'll skip over that for right now. The demon told the thief to return the psalter to Anthony, and to return to the Franciscan order. He did and was accepted back. Soon after Anthony's death, people began praying through Antony to find or recover lost and stolen articles. A prayer to Christ written in honor of St. Anthony shortly after his death. The whole prayer goes like this. The sea obeys and fetters break. And shattered hopes limbs thou dost restore. While treasures lost are found again. When young or old thine aid implore. So now you know why they came up with the shorthand version. Tony, Tony. Right, that shorthand version. Tony, Tony heard around, where is it, something's lost and must be found. I lost this. How do we apply this to the many items, that the many, many, many lost items, lost things? How about lost hope or lost faith or how about lost self-esteem or lost perspective? Lost, 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 so much lost, (coughs) waiting to be found. As I was looking for a way to bring this message to a close, I came across this question asked by one of the commentators who was writing about this gospel passage in Luke 15. Here's the question. Can you be righteous and still be lost? Whoa. Can you be righteous like those religious leaders the Pharisees and scribes who are not happy with Jesus and who think they're much better than the people Jesus is sitting with at table and even acknowledges and still be lost. Can can you and I? Because we came to church today and seem fine and all that. Can we? Can you? Can I? Seem fine, but also be lost. Righteous in, the, in most every defined way, but still lost. Listen to the answer given by the commentary, the commentator who asked this question. Commentators always do that. They ask questions and then they answer them. He says, because here's the thing. The major differentiating category in these parables seems to be, for lack of a better word, lostness. While we're used to thinking we're all sinners, that's not the way the writer of Luke sees it. Rather, when someone is described as a, quote, sinner, unquote, the Gospel is talking about someone whose pattern of sinning is so habitual, even second nature, that the whole community knows of it take a little minute and think about it. You all know somebody who fits that category. But what happens when we do that? Well, that's another story. That's an easy one, right? Easy for most of us to understand who is a sinner, because most of us think that sinner is someone else. Not us. It couldn't be me. Continue with the commentary, picking it up again. Similarly, by righteous, the gospel lesson doesn't mean those who are either perfect or self-righteous. But rather, Jesus describes those who actually and actively try to live up to the expectations that God sets for all of us. All of which means that Jesus is welcoming the local untouchables and 'er ne'er-do-wells, the moral disgraces and public outcasts, welcoming, accepting, and befriending to the point of embarrassing those leaders and church people, you know, the righteous ones. So Paul is even the the, the apostle Paul is even in this category. Jesus welcomed him, even though he persecuted all kinds of people in his former life. But but don't get me wrong; these are decent folk. These decent folk are quite understandably concerned. In that context, Jesus tells some stories, but they're not as soon becomes clear stories about the difference between sinner and righteous. Rather, they're about things we lose. A sheep, a coin, and the joy we experience when we find these things again. This is where the kick comes in. Most of Jesus' parables, you see, have quite a bite or a kick to them. (laughs) Something that doesn't quite set right and keeps you thinking, wondering, wrestling with the story until you begin to wonder if you've understood it at all. In these stories, it's the reaction of the shepherd and the woman. Which one of you, Jesus begins each story, implying that their behavior is normal. But is it? In the first case, the shepherd searches for a lost sheep, natural enough. We think as that, as that as that's the shepherd's job to do that, to keep track of the sheep. But to do it, he puts 99 sheep at risk, leaving them in the wilderness with no protection or shelter to seek out one that was lost. And when he finds the sheep he hustles all the rest of the sheep home and calls his friends and neighbors to join in his celebration. Normal? Ordinary? Hardly. In the second case, a woman who loses a tenth of her wealth, think of the stock, depart- the stock market dropping 10% in your retirement account, going down 10% in one day, a tenth of her wealth. She lights her lamp and sweeps all night searching for the one little coin. Makes sense to me. But then, when she finds it, she calls all her neighbors and invites them to celebrate, which likely in biblical times meant that she provided food and drink and perhaps spent on this celebration as much or more than she recovered from her search. Normal? Ordinary? No chance. Which is, of course, the point. Now get this part. This kind of ridiculous celebration... This kind of ridiculous celebration is what characterizes God's response to sinners who repent. And I would add, even you and me, repentance may include amending of one's ways and moral reform, but the chief characteristic is a turning around, a change in perspective, a recognition to bring us full circle of being lost and a corresponding desire to turn around and be found. And so we're back to the original question. Can you be righteous and still lost? After wrestling with this passage, I think you can. Indeed, I think we sometimes are, lots of us. Often this preacher too, we seem to have it all together, and yet deep down, we're just playing the rest. It's not that there's anything inherently wrong with being righteous. Working hard, doing your best, showing up for church on time, these are good things. But ultimately, they only scratch the surface of who we are and what we need and hope for. And God finally is there to grant us an identity beyond what we have done or are doing or may someday do. So my siblings in Christ, while having it all together is great, there will be times when we feel quite lost. That's where the church comes in as a place for all those who feel lost, sinners and righteous alike. That's the example of the trouble trough. I brought it out. Sheila made it last week. We had it in the back of the church. It's a visual invitation. It says, I invite you to admit your lostness, to confide your hopes and your fears, your dreams and dashed hopes to God, confident that when we, when you, when I turn toward God for any reason, good or bad, positive or negative, God throws one heck of a party and invites all to celebrate and in the end it's about a God so crazy in love with God's children that this God will do anything to find them to find us which of you Jesus asks would go to such great lengths to search and find and then welcome back and celebrate not just the acceptable ones especially the unacceptable ones truth be told Probably not too many of us. But God would. In fact, God does, even now, putting all at risk to seek us out. Lighting a lamp and sweeping and sweeping and sweeping until we are all caught up in God's mercy, God's grace, and God's love. Lost and righteous? Yes! Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. What did you- We are delighted to share. Because there are many who do not enjoy our bounty, we search for ways to help them. Thank you for showing us the way of mercy, the way of generosity, and the way of of faithfulness and joy of celebration. Bless us in our offerings, we pray. Amen. And now let us join our, our hearts and our voices together, praying the prayer that Jesus himself taught us. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth
0: as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our sins, as we forgive
1: now receive these words of benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace, now and always, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Go in peace. Proclaim the good news. Thanks be to God.